0: The Captain of the Thames, Part 1 Dear listener, We leave the outré and eminently troubling episode of the Tysurst Rat, at least temporarily, whilst we decrypt the cipher conundrum cryptograph that appears to have been applied by Terence Crabtree himself to his comrade's diary for the remainder of that particular notebook entry. A baffling series of crossword clues an inch-by-inch diagram of the interior of the Great Pyramid of Cholula, and a chemical formula with its conclusion missing. These are the only clues given. Whatever new grievous and mind-whirling eyewitness accounts to the foul and loathsome practices of Dr. Gunn will have to wait. This new extract that we are delighted to offer to the listening public is no less intriguing and throws a new light on the methods of complex highly stimulated, hallucinogenic, deductive crime-fighting employed by Crabtree and, to a lesser degree by his stalwart chronicler and aide-de-camp, Major Bill Plumpton. Major Plumpton's involvement in Crabtree's experimental nostrums and creative alcoholic arrangements was often on an ad hoc and highly informal basis, frequently without the Major's direct knowledge or confirmation by him to being a test patient. The following passages seem to have taken place over a weekend at the old place in Chiswick, West London. Crabtree's well-placed haven and sanctum. But the time frame and general references to anything remotely linked to normality are blurred to the point of an utterly enmeshed and chaotic single moment. This then is The Captain of the Thames. Ah, uh, Monsieur Terence, this, how you say, oh, ever, is no stranger to the Paris skies. Mais non, I have files and research, mon ami, that proves a critical alignment along les lands and energies right across France. But, you say, why would you even orient towards something you cannot see with your eye? I tell you, this government hides their truth from us. Our Parisian guest, Monsieur Didier Barrault, a highly regarded astrophysicist, philosopher and gastronome, hailed from the great Paris-Sorbonne University. His connections with the Observatoire de Paris had now brought him to the snugly furnished and convivial confines of our famous old library and prescription test room at Chiswick. Professor, I suggest we enjoy a slice or two of my number one reserve cake. Add a few glasses from a new bottle before we evaluate your theory. Crabtree, with his ever-diplomatic and most persuading of tones, now took the direction of our friend's conversation into his own hands. Our guest had spoken in increasingly more fantastical and excited tones for over an hour. All of his quite outlandish proposals and concepts had caused me to raise an eyebrow and stifle a groan of disbelief at an almost sentence-by-sentence frequency from the usual fixation on mind and body control via telephones and subtly constructed and yet invisible to the reader's eye newspaper headlines, to the more original yet nonetheless equally paranoid proofs and research, he claimed, that showed a direct line of clearly alternative energy from George Washington's old headquarters in New York to les catacombes de Paris in his own country of France. Barking mad wasn't the least of it. But Crabtree... Of the genial and welcoming tea-time host was almost agog for more details on these loose-screw ravings. "'Cher Terry, I am convinced with all my mind that here in Londres we can reveal like, how you say, eh, hey, presto, the truth and the scandal that is at this very minute been pulled like a blanket of lies across your countrymen and women's eyes.'" Crabtree had not been remiss in his tea-time duties. All the while our French chum was merrily babbling, Crabtree had been preparing our afternoon victuals. The cake was still in its heavy brass-plated circular and padlocked tin. The new bottle of vintage Griffin Chiswick water, still cobweb-dusted, unopened at an angle in the old oak wine-rest. The three plates and three glasses sat waiting in triangular in their positions on the small low afternoon table. Professor, shall I be mother?' Crabtree inquired in his most soothing and solicitous of voice. Our dizzying guest brightened at Crabtree's proffering and instantly abandoned his current recital on multiverse symmetry and his own measurements into the dynamic response of the Eiffel Tower. Major, the cake, if you would be so kind. Crabtree's request for the key to the unique and complex dish we were to sample was not without its unspoken warning. As he gently removed the cork to the bottle of the rarer, multipotent old Griffin number one point one, I withdrew from my writing desk drawer an iron key. Along its shank and bow it bore the ominous legend: "The mind is its own place, and in itself can make a heaven of hell, a hell of heaven." With the artistic finesse of a surgeon making an incision, Crabtree opened the cake tin padlock. Within lay a perfectly baked large fruit cake its gentle browned and golden hard outer shell concealing a cognoscente mixture of delicate tropical fruits, garden-fresh gooseberries, the finest syrups, plus a dazzling selection of organic and chemical preparations of some of the most potentially lethal hallucinogens, and consciousness-splicing laboratory-strength concepulant novel pharmacological inventions. Crabtree sliced a generous cut for each of us filled our glasses with the brilliant orange wine, then swirled slowly his glass in the now deepening red late-afternoon light that probed through half-closed curtains. Gentlemen, from this moment on we are each of us the other's guardian and protector. This evening will, with our professor's assistance and innate instincts for eccentricity, be one that will go down in our nation's archives as implausibly unhinged, yet we three will know the full truth of our inquiries and explorations and with keen relish and a degree of serious apprehension, both myself and our French fellow-traveller dug in, washing down the sweetly soft cake with the warming oak tones of the famous Chiswick waters.